I, I was just about to, to go back to sleep, and then this wave of, like, icy cold swept through me. And just about that time, my little miniature pincher started growling. And so I'm like, oh, what is that behind me? And you're like, you're kind of locked into position because it's like, I don't want to roll over and see what's behind me. The defense commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh. I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people. Then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brendan Shane. With me, as always, is the beautiful, the lovely... Annie Weems. How are you, Shea Bay? We're back, We Annie. are back. Sorry for that little delay, guys. I mean, we've been doing... Well, we've talked about it for a long time. We've been doing a lot of research, and it caught up to us. We had so many things going on, but we're back for another week, and it's Annie. It's your favorite time of the year. It's the most spookiest time of the year it i is. know that's incorrect english october 4th but it's october recording this and it is the fourth day of halloween rory has worn four different halloween outfits she she has and she will continue for the rest of the month but we're so excited that it's october our new episodes are going to start releasing this month starting with this one leading up to this project that we have been working on which is like you said before insanity yes yeah, so we finished the episode that we were working on. And guys, I'm just telling you, it's going to lead to one, two, three, four more parts to this series. I mean, it's, there's a lot entailed to it. We're going to open it up with the story of Intrude Cold and guys, it goes from there. So we're going to release that. That was the thing that I was going to say. We're going to release that around Halloween. Actually, should we release it on Halloween day? I don't know. We hadn't gotten that far. Well, with that's it yet, what Shane. I wanted to say. This this is what I wanted to drop a bomb on you and just tell you, like, I don't know what we're doing today as far as the episode goes. Right. I'm going to go ahead and drop this bomb on you. Okay. I think this year, guys, because it's been such a crappy year, we talked about releasing this episode special for Mothman, but it didn't make it in time. And 2020 has been such a crapshoot that I think we should give them two Halloween specials this year. A regular episode, a regular Halloween episode, and then on Halloween Day, we will drop this special Injured Cold story. 
I'm down with that. I'm down let's with do the it. sickness too. Let's I mean, do it's, it. Let's let's do that. Great. I'm glad you agree because that was going to happen anyway. <laughs> You'd I already made your mind up, so it didn't gonna, matter. I think I was going to push for it anyway. But to get what this episode's about, we're going to kick off Halloween with a special treat. And I have no clue what this interview entails. You did this interview a couple weeks ago, and I still haven't listened to it. And by the time this episode is over, I'll know exactly what it's about. Let's go ahead and lead into what we're doing today, Annie. So, Shay, you know I put out my call for all cryptids, right? All cryptid researchers, experiencers. And so I got a message from a lovely lady named Shitan Noir. Shitan is a paranormal author, researcher, and lecturer from Michigan. She's written multiple books, Mothman, Lake Legends. She was an absolute wealth of knowledge. We talked for a long time. I cut the episode off at an hour because I want to bring her back on again because we had just scratched the surface about some UFO talk when we were kind of wrapping things up. So we begin with some ghost talk, some spooky stories, and then lead into maybe some talk about Mothman, Dogman, Lake Legends, uh, and it's it, she's just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Such a pleasure. We'll have her back on again. So let's get into this episode with Shitan Noir. All right, guys, welcome back to this episode of Serial Spirits. I am here with a very special guest tonight, rounding out another month of cryptids. I have author, paranormal travel journalist, and cryptid researcher, Shitan Noir with us. Thank you so much for being part of Serial Spirits podcast. How are you? I am doing great, and thank you for having me on the show. No, thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine because you have a list of accolades, a country mile <laughs> long. I was reading through your biography. We are talking authoring books. You are a lecturer. You write for multiple magazines. It's just, it's crazy how much you have accomplished in the paranormal world. Well, um, I, I just, try to stay busy. And, uh, now the, the magazines are, um, uh, they did close down, but they, uh, there is a possible reboot coming, um, after this fall, or I might just start writing my own magazines. Um, that's always a, a, a um, a project in the works, but, uh, I'm also always doing research on books. I teach, um, not only am I a presenter, um, where I go, um, this year has been a little bit strange because, uh, everything that was booked for conventions and paracons and all that good stuff, um, got canceled, um, except for outdoor events, which have been few and far between, um, all that got canceled. Um, so that kind of threw that off, but, um, I do presentations at those events, but I also, um, teach a course about the paranormal history of the Great Lakes. And I teach that at two different community colleges when they are holding classes. And, uh, one is Kellogg Community College in Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, I have a course starting in November there. And then Owens Community College in Perrysburg, Ohio, um, I also teach at. That is amazing. And I wish that more universities and colleges had courses like that. I graduated from Marshall University here in Huntington, West Virginia. And there was one professor here who, for a very short period of time, taught a 
paranormal psychology class. And I think they only threw the word psychology in there so that they could get away with teaching a paranormal class in the Bible Belt of West Virginia. And I had the opportunity to do some uh, paranormal investigating with him. And it was just fascinating. Everything he had to say was fascinating. So kudos to them and to you for being able to do that, because I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think I think there is, uh, no matter what part of the country you're in, I think there is a general interest in paranormal, cryptids, UFOs, um, things of those natures, or as some of my colleagues will say, high strangeness. And I think people do have a, a, a much more in-depth you know, interest in it than what um, academics or the general um, teaching public you know, realizes. And so when a course like this gets offered, you know, it, it fills up quickly. So <laughs> to colleges and community colleges that um, libraries even that, you know, bring in presenters like this. Um, I know October is always the busiest month for us. So um, right. I know I uh, even with Zoom presentations, I have at least five different presentations that I'm doing through Zoom in October for uh, libraries all over the country. That's amazing. And I want to post links to all of those uh, before we leave here today. So let's go back to the beginning. What made you become interested in the paranormal, the cryptids? Where did your fascination begin that kind of led you down this path for your life? Well, I've always, I always um, tell the same two stories when, when people ask that. And one is, like most American families, our our family when I was growing up, um, vacations were done with camping, and so I remember um, at a very young age, um, there is a campground uh, here in Michigan, um, Crystal Lake or Crystal Waters Campground, and now put your mindset that you're a nine year old child. And at this campground, they had a alligator in a pen. So if <laughs> living there um, and you're like, whoa, did they catch that in the lake? You know, and, and of course, you know, people will tell you whatever. Um, but I could remember not wanting to go out um, even in a boat on the lake because, you know, there's alligators in the lake. Right. They caught one and put it, in, you know. <laughs> and um, one particular occasion, they were showing for family movie night the Patterson Gimlin film and The Legend of Boggy Creek. Now, as a seven year or as a nine year old child, you're watching this uh, movie and you're watching, you know, these things reach through windows or walk across the woods, and you're like, oh my God, those, those are in the woods. And then leaving where they were having the movie at, um, which was just a small um, indoor theater. It was, it, it was one of, it was a movie um, that was shown on the old rod and reel, um, you know, type movie player where, you know, it's actual film. And so um, I remember just going into the, the public bathroom and being terrified. I didn't want to leave the bathroom um, because that was an enclosed space and it was safe. And go back to our camper and two older women actually had to escort me back to our, our you know, the camping trailer once we found it. And so that has started my interest into things like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, what we now call cryptozoology. You know, those are the two of right. the biggest ones in, 
in cryptozoology. Now, the paranormal is a different um, scenario. My my dad's parents um, both lived down in Indiana, and we were getting ready to go down um, the next day to see my grandmother because she was um, in the hospital and they weren't expecting her to make it much longer. And we were going to leave early the next morning. So we, when we got up, my parents said, well, uh, we got some bad news to tell you. And I said, I already know grandma passed. Oh, wow. And, and they said, Oh, did you hear us on the phone? I said, no, she came to me in my sleep last night and told me that she was leaving but that it was fine. Um, she could breathe better now because she had, she had, she was, she would smoke pack after pack of cigarettes um, every day. Her, her lungs were not very good and she was a, a very small woman. So um, I remember her coming to me in my sleep and telling me she had passed away. And this was before we even knew that she had actually passed away. We did that was like 3.30 in the morning and we didn't get the phone call until like 6 a.m. in the morning. Um, and then on another occasion, on my mom's side of the family, uh, her um, beloved uncle, who was always like a, a, a grandfather to me and my brothers, he had passed away. And I wasn't able to go to the funeral that day because I, at that time I had owned my own mobile grooming company and I had a full day of, of grooming. So it's like seven o'clock in the morning and I'm, you know, getting ready to work and the phone rings and it goes right into my, uh, at that time, my, my answering machine for those people who, who, uh, don't know what that is. It's a, it's a machine <laughs> that used to answer your phone. Um, kind of like voice. It, it was play, it was on lot, you know, it would play it so that you could hear it. And I distinctly heard a, a female voice Sharon will meet you at the cemetery and okay I, I need to go you know tell my mom that uh you know these relatives will meet her at the so I, I went up and told her and she said well when did that happen and I said oh just about 10 minutes ago so we went down and it showed that there was one call that had come in and I pushed play and there was nothing oh wow phone had rang because my dogs you know reacted to it and the voice came on and they barked at the voice. So I had heard this whole, you know, the, the anomaly of the phone ringing, the answering machine, you know, greeting come on. And then them leaving the, the voicemail. My mom said, it's okay. I got the message. I know who, who left it. It's my mom and, uh, you know, some other, you know, relatives. They're, they're going to meet us there. And I said, okay. That kind of was like, yep, okay. Uh, apparently, I, you know, I, I, at that time, I could, you know, get responses from spirits. And now I just, uh, I go with my gut intuition and that kind of leads me now. So um, those, those are what started me on, the, on uh, my, my interest in my paths of the paranormal and cryptozoology. I had a really similar experience with a couple of my grandparents, a lot like that, when they passed. And it almost, if you weren't interested already in the paranormal, then those really personal encounters make you step in that direction and it opens your eyes to something that is 
you know, if you were a skeptic at all before, there would have been no doubt in my mind when my relatives came to me that's like, there's something else beyond this. And if you don't pay attention, like you said, if you don't go with your gut instinct, then you may miss out on something because I feel those stories as you told them, because it's it's just like some of the things that happened uh, with me when my grandparents died. That's so strange. Yeah, the the the, the first two with um, with the campground and with my my dad's mother, um, those happened when I was younger, um, you know, before age 12. And then the last one, it happened, I believe I was in my late twenties, um, when that had happened. And when the, the message came over the answering machine. And since then it's just been, it's interesting because, um, I want to say it was two summers ago. I had an incident where for people who don't know in Michigan, we have this at the, at, if you look at Michigan, like a mitten at the very top of it, there is uh, Mackinac city. And then you can take a boat over to Mackinac Island and it's very much a tourist destination. Uh, Mackinac city is very touristy, um, a tourist trap. And th- during the summer, there's probably five to 10,000 people a day who come in and out of that area from all over the world. And so my mom had come home in June for a school reunion. I believe it was the golden anniversary. And she works most of um, like from March until November. She is the curator for bears up at the North American Bear Center. And so she had flown home and then I was driving her back because um, her German shepherd uh, was, had stayed with us. And then, you know, I was driving her back home. Uh, to Ely, Minnesota, uh, with her her German Shepherd. So, I had my min pin with me, my little uh, miniature pincher Tegan, and so we had walked around. She wanted to get fudge, and so I had with me. I had my little miniature pincher. So we went into the one public bathroom, went into the largest stall, and then you know we got back on the road and left. So several months later, um, up in St. Ignace, Michigan. There is a huge paracon, uh, my paracon. I had gone up to that and I had left my little miniature pincher home, gone up to that. And then as I was leaving, Mackinac City is about an hour and a half once you get over the five mile bridge of Mackinac Bridge. Um, I, you know, stopped back in Mackinac City because I thought, well, I'll get, uh, I'll get my dad and my brother some fudge and some taffy and stuff like that. And so... I had stopped. I went back into that restroom and that stall. And just as I was about to leave the stall, a clear voice says, what? No puppy this time. What? That's so weird. And, and it was so loud and clear that I started to answer it back and said, no, she's at, and then I'm like, wait. And I slowly, you know, it's one of the bigger stalls. I slowly look around like who said that? How would anybody know that? And I actually walked out of the stall. All the other stalls were empty. And so you so went into a haunted bathroom. <laughs> something, an intelligent haunt. And we're not, because I, I have friends who, who um, are uh, very, very well researched about the haunted activity of Mackinac Island and Mackinac City. 
And I was telling them that story and they're, and they're like, well, it could be the ghost of there. I'm like, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is it remembered. It right. remembered that I had that dog with me in June and here it is late August. And out of the probably hundred thousand people that have been in this, you know, area over the last couple of months, it remembered that I had my dog with me last time. That is so bizarre. Did they have any idea of who specifically it could have been? Like, did they have any history of any other weird activity happening in that very spot? Or was it just one of those kind of random? They were kind of attributing it to there's a spirit that is attached to one of the restaurants that's near there. And for the life of me, I can't remember it right now. Um, All I know is they have really good pasties, uh, which are these hand pies that have like chicken or beef in them, but with like rutabagas and stuff like that. They're really good, (laughs) but there's a restaurant right there um, that's near the bathrooms that has, um, it's an old style, like family uh, diner. And that's one of the things that they serve that Mackinac city and Island is known for as the pasties. And he said that the ghost possibly could have been attributed there. He said, but you never know because they have the, the old Fort Milnack there. And that also has haunted activity. And he said, you know, it could be a soldier who just patrolled that area and, you know, was keeping track of everything. And so it's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, when you get activity, and sometimes it is when you're not expecting it. Um, another occasion that I had with uh, experiencing a disembodied voice was um, at a museum that's down in Dundee, Michigan. And it's actually where General Custard and his wife used to live. They turned it into a historical museum. And now on this occasion, it was me, my aunt, and my, my younger cousin. And so we were walking around and we came, there was a, a big portrait of Abraham Lincoln. And my aunt asked my cousin, do you know who that is? And, and you know, we paused for a few seconds and I started to say Abraham Lincoln and a voice, a female voice said, that's President Abraham Lincoln. And we're oh, looking wow. around, we're like, who said that? So we walk all the way back up to the counter to talk to one of the uh, volunteers who's there. And we're like, um, do you have paranormal activity? And they're like, yes, that's Mrs. Custard. She, no way. She likes, she likes to talk to people. And I apparently people have seen her. Um, they've walked into the restrooms and she's been, you know, fixing her hair and stuff like that. And is always very polite to people. You know, people will always, you know, say, oh, that reenactor was so so polite and so nice and they're like there is no reenactor what they look like they're like oh yep that's general custard's wife (laughs) she's quite the reenactor yeah and so um you know it's you know it's times like that where you're just like and like all three of us heard it so it was and the funny thing is we were actually we had stopped there first and then we were going to the river raising battlefield to see if we could pick up any paranormal activity there. And we actually got more activity at the historical museum uh, than we did at the actual battlefield. So um, it was, you know, it, it, you know, it's those situations when you, you know, you can naysay it as much as you want, but when you experience something like that, then, then you start looking for answers and And you start, 
Right. A lot of times I think it happens when you least expect it too. Like you said, it's the, you, you, you expect to go to these other places and have this activity, but it catches you off guard like that. So many times we've been on investigations and nothing will happen. And you think, oh my gosh, this, you know, this place is dead, no pun intended. And as you start to wrap things up or pack your equipment up, then it all kind of breaks loose and you're like, oh my gosh, all, you know, it just catches you off guard, like it's playing a trick. Now, a, a another interesting um, experience that I had, I had gone down to the Mothman Festival um, about, well, three, three Septembers ago, about three years ago. And a friend of mine who lives near there had invited me and um, several other people to stay at his cabin that weekend. Um so that we could go, you know, back and forth to the Mothman Festival and do different things. So the first night that we stayed there, um, everybody uh, who was upstairs, we all had our little cubby holes and everything. And once again, I have my little miniature pincher with me. And the first night, everybody is exhausted because we had all driven in that day. And so everybody got a pretty good night's sleep. So the second night, we had all been at Mothman Festival, all the whole day into the evening. So we all get back there and uh, he does have Bigfoot activity around his cabin. So, you know, we were all up, you know, try anticipating seeing something and, and we did get some activity, but the more, more interesting thing was when we went to sleep that night, only like, only he knew that the cabin was actually haunted and it's, it's a big cabin. It has, it has two levels. So the woman who had been, um, sharing the area that I was, um, had gone home. So it was just me and my little miniature pincher. And I had my bag sitting on a rocking chair, um, in between both beds and in the bag was a bottle of ibuprofen. So at one point I had my back facing towards the, towards the chair and I'm, I'm, uh, laying on my side and my miniature pincher is tucked up, you know, against me underneath the blankets and the other two ladies are in another part and I'm woken up because I hear a, a bottle of pills rattling. And I thought it was the other two ladies getting their medication. Um, and so I, I, I was just about to, to go back to sleep. And then this wave of like icy cold swept through me. And just about that time, my little manager pincher started growling. And so I'm like, oh, what is that behind me? And you're like, you're kind of locked into position because it's like, I don't want to roll over and see what's behind me. And so the next morning, uh, I was apologizing to them. I said, oh, I hope you guys were okay last night. I heard you getting your 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 medication. And uh, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to, uh, like, make you feel awkward by, you know, asking you, if you need, you know, had any problems or anything like that. And they said, we didn't get up and get any medication. We thought you were. <laughs> I said, well, I, I put the bottle of, of pills rattling, but I thought it was coming from your area. And they said, no, I said, oh, so the ghost was playing with the bottle of ibuprofen in my bag. So you'll and have to tell me where this uh, this cabin is later because I live 40 minutes from Point Pleasant. This is okay. this is our home. Yeah, this is our home area. Um, okay. Yeah, go ahead and continue because we'll we'll come back to that later. 
Yep. Um, yeah, because I'll, I'll um, I can tell you who owns it, but to, it's been like three years since I've been there, and I couldn't tell you how exactly to get to it. But um, I do know the owner, so I, I can uh, I can share that information with you. Oh, definitely. Um, we all just kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay. And then, and then, you know, we, we were talking about it and he said, oh yeah, that's a little ghost boy. And we're like, huh, okay, good to know. Because he was playing with my stuff last night and, you know, I had felt it, I had heard it and my little miniature pincher reacted to it and she couldn't even see over the side of me. She was tucked down, you know, uh, you know, next to my hip. And it had the blankets over her. So she heard it, but I, I think she also felt that icy wave come through us. And then, you know, it, it drew back out. So I don't know how close it got to me, but I do know that that rocking chair was only three feet from my bed. Animals are the best spirit detectors. I always pay attention when my cats do things in the middle of the night because sometimes they just do it randomly. And then sometimes because we've had activity in my house, well, since I bought it, there are times that I know that they are not just being crazy for no reason, that they are reacting to something. And you do, you get that feeling of your antennas start to go off. And I think the more you do paranormal investigating, the better your sensor gets, right? You learn that feeling that comes over you when something is happening or about to happen and you start to pay attention, like you said, to that gut instinct of, okay, my senses are heightened. I need to pay attention right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, She she travels a lot with me and... I've taken to her to many different uh, locations. She she's pretty much my constant companion, and we go hiking, we go investigating together. It's it's always uh, when we're hiking, I pay attention to her. I, I pay attention to the trail, but the way I see it, her hearing, her smell, and her her um, sense of smell are a hundred times better than mine. And if she starts, you know. Uh, doing the raised hacks and and goes on alert, then there's something that we need to be paying attention to. And this is a dog. She's seven pounds, um, maybe 10 and a half inches tall. But this is a dog that has taken on, well, she's bluff charged and scared off a a year old or two year old black bear. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) 15 feet away. It was when I took my mom, uh, back up to uh, where she lives in Ely, Minnesota from uh, stopping in uh, Mackinac City. And the next morning, I had early, early in the morning, I had gone out to grab her dog food and to grab my backpack because we got in into her house at like 3.30 in the morning. The the bears are very prolific in, in that area. And so I had I had just opened up the back hatch, got my bag out and, uh, was, had her, she was on her, on her harness and had her 10 foot lead on her, shut down the, the back of the, uh, Ford escape. And I heard the behind me and I can see in, in the reflection of the, the back window of the car that there's a bear 15 feet behind us. Oh my gosh. just as I'm running it through my head, okay, the door is in the same direction of the house as, you know, that I'd have to go. My my little Tegan smelled the bear, 
saw the bear and I had a hold of the, the leash and she went flying out around the side of me and hit the end of the leash, just uh, doing her like most ferocious barking. And the bear saw that and the bear took two hops, went into the woods and was gone. And so she was kicking her feet and, uh, and just like I told that bear off. And then <laughs> a month later, this is a dog that, that knows no fear. A, mo- a month later, we are, um, we're at the exotic cat um, sanctuary down in Indiana. And I had her in her travel bag. And we went on the tour. And the, guy, the guide and the people who owned it knew she was in her travel bag. But the other people didn't. And they just thought it was a camera bag. So we get to the last enclosure. And there's an old male lion and uh who did not like men and this gentleman was right up you know at the front of the the fence taking pictures of him and so he did this very deep bellowing roar and about 30 seconds later you hear from my bag this sternly <laughs> and 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 the lion's ears flicked up and he got this look on his face like how dare you? And he got up and he was, he was chuffing at us, which is that sound that they make. Yeah. And he moved back, he moved further back into the pen. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, first she takes on a black bear and wins. Now she's taken on a lion and one, one, uh, you know, she takes on ghosts, you know, like this is watch a- out. Yeah, this this is a paranormal investigating dog. She knows no boundaries and she was just protecting her mama. Oh, yes. Yes, and she she does a very good. Anybody who's met Tegan knows that she is all business, and uh, I am her top priority, and that's it. <laughs> that's so sweet. So you mentioned a uh, something that you call high strangeness, which I think anybody in the paranormal world right now is very familiar with that term. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about Mothman. This is an area, we live in an area, like I said, I'm about 40 minutes from Point Pleasant. And this would normally be the weekend that you would find us in the TNT bunkers right now. We are so disappointed that Mothman Festival was canceled. We were supposed to speak there uh, this year. And so, you know, high hopes for 2021 and their 20th anniversary. You've done all sorts of paranormal investigating. You've done a lot of cryptid research as well have you ever encountered a cryptid you talked about this you know the cabin in near point pleasant and the bigfoot activity there um what has been your experience with any type of cryptid encounters if any i do um i 100 percent believe that i had a bigfoot sighting and it was actually um my first time that I had gone up to visit my mom in uh, Minnesota. And I always tell people to get to Ely, Minnesota, you have to drive to the middle of nowhere and drive past it. <laughs> and then once you're bored to tears, of driving. so to get back to civilization, uh, you have to drive back from the brink of extinction of nowhere. And you should, so, um, so to get back to the main, uh, highway, you take basically a two two lane highway back to a four lane highway with a median in between it. So I was early in the morning because I wanted to get a it's a it's 
from from Ely, Minnesota to my house. You can do the, some people can do the drive in 14 hours, like my dad. Some of us oh, it takes wow. 18. Holy cow. Uh, long drive. So, you know, the, the quicker you start, the the faster you get home. So I I had planned to leave. Um plus it was going up. I was in a Jeep my in my Jeep, Jeep Wrangler at the time and the deer were just lining the roads you know like a suicide bombers they right. they just were waiting for the truck you know usually around 3 30 is when most of the semi trucks are getting back on the road if you get behind a semi truck this is this is a word to wise of anybody during uh deer mating season rutting season if you get behind a semi truck while you're driving down these country highways, if they hit a deer by the time you get to the what remains of the deer, it's nothing. So yes, exactly. Behind a semi at that point. So that was my plan. I was going to get, you know, onto the major highway and then hopefully get behind a semi and take it back across the UP. So as I'm taking the two lane highway, back to the city of Virginia, which is where you pick up the four lane. As I'm going, as I'm starting to go up now, mind you, I'm in a Jeep Wrangler sport with a canvas top. As I'm starting to go up onto the on-ramp, my headlights shine onto two very thick tree trunk sized legs with a brownish like brownie almost colored um fur on them shaggy fur black but with a reddish tint when the when light hits it and it was headlight leg grass leg headlight now wherever the head and chest of this creature was it was higher than what my head was sitting at in my jeep wow so, and knowing that if I stand next to my Jeep, uh, my Jeep is about five foot tall. So wherever the head and shoulders of this was, it was another, uh, I want to say two feet up, which makes it in the seven foot range. Now, by this point, I am up on the four lane highway, but I stop because there's nobody else around. This is 3.30 in the morning. And I, I stopped my Jeep and I'm like, did I just think, see what I thought I saw? And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, I'm in a Jeep. I could go across, go down the other, you know, on ramp, come back around. And then I'm thinking, you idiot, you're in a soft sided Jeep. If that is a Bigfoot, it could take this as a, as a, uh, threatened, you know, a threat to right. it and just push your Jeep over. And so what I'm going to do is the next time my mom goes to Ely, or goes into Virginia, I want her to check and see if there's any trees there. There are no trees there. Mm -hmm. in the spot that I saw these two legs. So some people will say, oh, it was a moose or a black bear. Well, no, this was late November. Most of your black bears are denning by then. And if it was a black bear, I would have seen the face because a black bear is not taller than the hood of my Jeep. Right. If it was moose, I would have seen, you know, the head of it. There was, it was two legs going up into a, a same colored body and the head and neck were above that. Head, neck, and shoulders were above that. And right. so I, I 100% believe that I had a Bigfoot sighting um, at that, you know, at that uh, on-ramp. 
You wrote a book about Mothman and knowing the story well and the research that we have done about that. What's your impression of the Mothman activity, whether in Point Pleasant or Chicago or wherever else that the Mothman has been cited? Do you have a theory to what the Mothman is linked to, why he would have been around Point Pleasant or any of those other areas? Um, what's your Mothman theory? Well, I I think that the Mothman, there is a possibility of him being interdimensional or alien. But there is, I with doing the research on that book, there are similar type creatures that have been reported. Um, there's the Butler County Gargoyle in Pennsylvania. There's the Freedom Township. Uh, demon that was uh, seen in the Ohio area. There are reports of similar creatures being seen around Indiana, northern Indiana. Um, and then they kind of fi- follow the Indiana-Illinois border and kind of make a loop back, you know, in towards West Virginia. Now, I, when I was doing research um, for the book and was putting out my feelers, I was actually getting interesting reports from people that were telling me that uh, near some of the local mines, they still are experiencing activity of winged uh, humanoid creatures and that they actually had to hire more guards because of this. So I think that it's not just one creature. I think that there are several of them, but I do think that they are very similar in behavior pattern to our migrating birds where they follow um, whether it's a food source or um, a vibrational force. They, they do have a, a migrating network which loops around West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, bordering along uh, Illinois and then swoops back through Kentucky, you know, and into West Virginia again, um, because I've found reports all, all in those areas, um, that, you know, kind of circle around those States. So I do think it is, um, not just one creature. I think that there's a group of them and, uh, you know, different size ranges, because if you have a breeding population, you would expect that with, you know, males and females being of different sizes and the young being different sizes, which is probably why people are um, kind of, you know, when you say mothman, you, you think there's just one. Like when you say Bigfoot, people just think there's one Bigfoot and he's roaming the country being spotted, you know, everywhere. Right. No, there's that. <laughs> it's not just one individual. And I think that's, what people kind of need to open their minds to is it's not just one. There are probably several of them, if not a family group of them that are, for whatever reason, they, there's different resources in different areas that they are taking advantage of, but those resources may not be available all year round. They may just be available during the fall in one area or during the summertime in another area. And that is what they are taking advantage of. Um, once, once 
a, a creature or a species becomes used to a routine, um, particularly if it means uh, giving them an easier way of living, of making a living, um, which for non-humans, that means food, shelter, mates for reproduction, and uh, a water source. That's that's making their living. And so as long as they have you know access to those things or they know where to find them, they will move. You know, it's not like we, it's not like with your, with your pet dog where you say, Hey, you're going to stay here in this yard because you have food, water, you have us, you have shelter. And, you know, you're either in the house or you're in the yard and this is where you stay. This is where you always stay unless I take you somewhere. Free, free, you know, living animals, like any species, uh, they move to where they have access to those four key elements. and that's what drives their behavior is food, water, shelter, and uh, for, you know, protecting their young and from the elements and finding a mate. Do you think that it, he is or the group is extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial? Do you think it could be something um, government created? What's your feeling on the whereabouts, I guess? If this, if Mothman exists, where did the Mothman or Moth Men or Moth Fellows come from? Well, that's that's a very good question. Um, there's so many different elements to it because you, if it were because of the government, you have to wonder were they were they somehow messing with interdimensional portholes, right? And these creatures came through. But if they did do that, if, if they were messing with the inner dimensions and these portals opened up, then it wasn't just the Mothman that came through, but possibly the Dogmen, possibly the Lizard People. Right. Uh, this, you know, I do believe that the Bigfoots are a natural occurring species here on Earth. Now, some of the other ones, like Mothman and... Uh, the lizard people and possibly dogmen. We don't have anything in the fossil record um, that says that these species should be here. Lake monsters, we can say yes. Plesiosaurs were a real thing. Mosasaurs were a real thing. Right. Giant turtles were a real thing. Giant fish, sharks were a real thing. Yes. We can find them in the fossil record. So we have proof of life of those at one point in Earth's history. What we don't have is a dog species that evolved into a, a upright walking bipedal. We don't have that in the fossil record. We don't have a large humanoid um, with wings in the fossil record. We have pterodactyls, and some of those were quite magnificent. Uh, the Quetzalcoatl, the Ropia, uh, had a wingspan span of 40 feet. It could go wherever it wanted in the world as long as it could catch a, a wind current to sail on. And but we don't have a um, one with a human type face or a human type figure because Mothman is usually depicted as having uh, hands and arms, and we don't have that on, on pterosaurs. We right. they have wings that have a, a leathery membrane. 
but they don't, they have feet, they have legs, but they don't have hands. And most of their heads are a long crest shape with a, a beak. And so um, that is a huge difference from, you know, from what a pterodactyl would look like to what Mothman looks like. And so even with the lizard people, you could say, okay, certain species of, of um, bipedal dinosaurs that were evolving to be more upright, like the truodont, that could have evolved into a lizard-type person. And we know that um, a lot of uh, UFO experts are saying that there is a reptilian alien race that has actually come here to Earth and is living in different areas. So there's that tie-in. But with this interdimensional aspect, you have to wonder if if the Mothman came through, what else came through with it? I fully believe that something exists out there and that it could very well be known by the government. The area where the TNT bunkers exist, I'm sure you know this, but if anybody does not, uh, was owned by the government. And mm-hmm. they were creating uh, mechanisms there that were used even in uh, the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. There was something out there that they were protecting. And if you go out there now, there are still the remnants of some of this stuff out there. I fully believe that whatever is out there, the moth man, moth creatures, the government knows what it is. And if they weren't responsible for it, they know where it came from. Well, and you you look at all the um, technology and how they have um, reproduced certain sounds like infrasound, sonar. Right. Now, that is used by by natural occurring species here on Earth to communicate with others of its, you know, of its likeness. Um, and it's you have to wonder if if they were messing with or working with these different sound anomalies, what possibly that can do because sound, you know, sound is energy. And if that doesn't create a ripple effect that opens something up. I agree with that 100%. We're doing a lot of research right now about Mothman and the phenomena that happened here in Point Pleasant. And I could literally talk about that all day we may have to do a second show just because of that just for that because i want to touch on some of the other things that you've written about too you mentioned uh dog man uh and i believe there was another one that you uh, n- is it nine rouge nine rouge yes nine rouge yes so if you had to write about one of your favorite cryptids uh which one would it be which which research has really uh grabbed your interest interest and just wouldn't let go well for me um i'm always collecting more information on lake monsters because one of my one of my indulgences with research is looking up the fossil records of a you know anything that uh falls into the book that i'm writing and for me lake monsters it's it's so enjoyable to just research the fossil record and see how many different plesiosaur species or prehistoric marine reptiles were swimming from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to British Columbia, Canada, 
through that interwater uh, seaway that cut through the United States at one point, many, many, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say trillions, but uh, many, you know, uh, centuries ago. Right. That, you know, the evidence of that is still found in the bedrock that is exposed through North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Utah, and they're finding new species every day. So to me, that is just fanc- fascinating. And I love researching my fossil records with the plesiosaurs and stuff like that. But um, the Nain Rouge is, um, he's a Detroit like legend. And it goes way back to the times of Cadillac coming here and actually building Fort Detroit. And he is actually the one who instigated the Nain Rouge and, and started all of our, our problems because he decided to um, against the warnings of a fortune teller who pre-told him of the Nain Rouge, he decided to have a stick fight with the Nain Rouge and hit it, and that the Nain Rouge cursed us. So we have a very long, rich history with the Nain Rouge, but the sightings kind of fell off, um, I want to say, in the 70s. Uh, now, lots of different things have been blamed on him, don't get me wrong. And every March, we have a parade where we... we uh, usher him around a couple of blocks of Detroit and then we throw him in a car and drive him down to Toledo and, you know, throw him out. Um, <laughs> no, really I want to be part of this parade. <laughs> it's, it's, the march to, it's the march to uh, Nain Rouge. But I, I am the Michigan um, representative for uh, the North American Dogman Project. And I do get interesting, you know, uh, stories you know, usually a couple year. Um, the most interesting one, and it's not Dogman, that I've gotten over the last two years is of a unknown cryptid that is actually the upper part of the state. And I was calling it the Beast of Old Twenty One because that's a road that it was first saw um, seen on. And since then, I have gotten another report of it being in a area that's about. I want to say a hundred miles from where it was first, you know, seen. Um, so it's got a large territory, but it's been described to me as it moves on all four, like a camel would it's camel colored, but has a domed head, a snout, comical looking ears. And they weren't sure if it had a tail or not. Um, the interesting thing is this creature has no problem crossing the road in front of oncoming traffic, but by the time the people who see it, saw it cross in front of them, get to where it crossed and look over into an open field where it should be, it's gone. What? That is so bizarre. This is a creature that, um, that I have not heard of before in cryptozoology and it's here in Michigan and I get reports of it, um, you know, I've gotten two reports of the same similar creature, but in two different areas by two different people. And both wanting me to confirm whether this was a Bigfoot or a dogman. And I said, from what I'm hearing, it's neither. This is something totally new and different. Yeah, that that sounds totally, I've never heard of a Bigfoot on all fours. So that's And, and moving that's very, very quickly and very fluently. Um, you know, they, they said it was about the size of a camel and the same color, but not the body. 
uh, you know, the, the body, um, they, they didn't say, you know, bear shaped, but they said, uh, it was walking on all fours and we couldn't see if it had hooves or paws because we were focused on the upper body, you know, the, the top part of it. Uh, but comical looking ears, they said it, it was huge. By the time we got to, you know, it, it crossed 20 feet in front of us. By the time we got to where it crossed and looked across the road into the field, it was gone. They're like, it's a flat field. Where did it go? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I can't, get, I wasn't there. I can't tell you where it went, but, you know, thank you for the report. That's very interesting and exciting. Any other bizarre type of activity in those areas like UFO, maybe? Um, we do have a lot of uh, UFO activity around the Great Lakes areas. Um, I, I do some research into that when it, you know, starts involving, um, thing, you know, uh, mass sightings and anomalies and ships or, uh, planes that have gone missing, um, in the, throughout the history of, uh, UFO sightings on the Great Lakes. Um, I'm not a MUFON researcher, so I don't really have access to their files. Uh, so I usually have to go really in depth to find anything. Um, we do have a couple different, uh, reports of, of possible UFO interactions with ships and, and, uh, planes that have taken, you know, place over the last hundred years or so. Um, and so, but we also have some reports that some people think that we could have underwater um, USOs, which is, uh, uh, the underwater, um, unidentified, you know, objects can't say flying. So they're, they're, I wouldn't say swimming either. You know, they're, they're just underwater. Um, some people think that there's actually underwater base in Lake Erie. I would believe, I mean, I'm not, I can't shoot any of that down because some of the research that we've done into, even just uh, Mothman sightings with associated UFO sightings, men in black sightings. Yep. Uh, there's too much to call coincidence there. And when you start kind of even putting a map together, we went as far as to put things on a map and see uh -huh. kind of these hot spots of where uh, some of these things were laid out. And it it's, interesting to say the least yeah it's uh, you know I, I i always look at um when i'm collecting research and data for a new book uh i always look at it like a bowl of spaghetti yeah <laughs> because you know right. you can't just pull one noodle out without five more coming with it it's uh i usually i i the method that works for me for writing books is i write everything out on index card blank four by six index cards. And then I, I end up with a whole recipe box full of index cards for one book because every little fact um, is of interest, but I don't know how it's going to go into the book. And so I accumulate all these notes and then it's just a matter of, of going through and kind of putting everything into uh, where it makes sense and, and working from there. The bowl of spaghetti noodles is the best research analogy that I've ever heard because it's so true. And anybody who's ever looked into any of this activity knows that feeling because there are days that you want to pull your hair out with it. 
Oh, yeah. And that's um, my Mothman book is actually Mothman and other flying creatures of the Midwest because I came across so much data and, and research that showed not just uh, Mothman activity, but uh, modern day pterosaur, you know, sightings, which are considered or called gropens, thunderbirds, uh, you know, giant um, uh, owls, you know, just, and thunderbirds, you know, um, you have the native American version, and then you have these gigantic birds that were seen in Alton, Illinois, that lifted a 10 year old child up and, and tried to carry him off. So natural occurring species that are just, you know, you would think were, were passed and gone and extinct in the fossil, you know, locked into the fossil record somewhere, but we're, seeing that maybe there are pockets of these, you know, uh, birds left living and they just, they leave their territory for whatever reason, uh, occasionally, and they pop up in, in different, you know, parts of the world. And with a, if you have a wingspan of, of a, uh, small passenger jet, you can pretty much go wherever you want. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Not just to your home range. I can't believe we have been uh, on for an hour already, and I don't want to keep you all day, but I feel like we could talk for hours. We're just scratching the surface, so you have to come back on again and talk about in detail some more. I want to hear some more Dogman and uh, some other stories, but for anyone listening who would like to read one of your books or could even maybe partake in a lecture that you're doing. Can you give us that information? Sure. So all of my books are can be found on Amazon. Real easy. Um, if you want to uh, find them, just type in my name, S H E T A N N O I R, Shatan Noir, and that will bring up all the books that I've written. Um, for the cryptid ones, I have Lake, uh, Lake Monsters and Odd Creatures of the Great Lakes and Mothman and Other Flying Creatures of the Midwest. And then I have a children's series. Um, there's just one book in it right now, but more will be added. But it's The Marvelous Misadventures of Tegan Gray. And the first book is Where She Goes Bigfoot Hunting. Um, so that is, and it's it's live uh, or it's actual pictures of her going uh, Bigfoot hunting around my yard. Um, but it's really cute. <laughs> and you get to see her dressed up in different costumes with her, her friends who are puppets and stuff like that. Um, and then the, the, the Bigfoot is a actually Bigfoot costume that I found at a garage sale. And uh, cause I didn't want it too scary for kids, but I wanted it to, you know, kind of look real. Um, so that was my, my, uh, my trade-off. Um, so you can find those on Amazon and, um, just order them from there. Now for lectures, I'm actually doing, um, next weekend, I will be in Pennsylvania at the Bigfoot UFO barbecue festival at, um, Gearhart's Milton Loop campground. Um, it's an all day event. It's outdoors and I believe it's free to come to, uh, there'll be five or six presenters. Um, I am one of them and we'll be doing presentations all day long, but we, there will also be vendors there. And so you can come, uh, buy a book from me there. There'll be other, 
um, presenters there who are talking about Bigfoots and UFOs and cryptozoology. Um, I'm sure they will have books also. So um, that's my next actual event event. Now for Zoom presentations, I'm, I'm doing a couple through libraries and I'm not quite sure how um, the libraries, you know, accept people into the Zoom rooms or the Zoom chats. So um, can't really give you that information um, because they have to send me uh, an invite to their Zoom chat rooms and then I, I can join the conversation. So those will be happening in October, but I will be posting on my uh, Facebook um, profile page, you know, my different events that come up. Shitan Noir, you are a newfound friend of the Serial Spirits podcast. I have a feeling this is just the first of uh, of many uh, conversations that we'll have about some really bizarre topics. It sounds great to me. Uh, I love talking. As you can tell, I, I love uh, talking cryptids and paranormal and high strangeness. So uh, whenever you whenever you want me on, I have no problem. So Annie, that was a pretty good interview. I like those interviews where you can sit there and you're just entranced the whole time with people who know so much about all these different aspects of the paranormal. And you know my theory on it. It's all connected. There's all something to it. And I want to make a point that the story she told about Rio Grande, Ohio, not only famous for Bob Evans' headquarters, the Bob, the Rio Grande, the Bob oh, Evans okay. farm. I that, didn't know where, that. Yeah, that's there where you it's go. at. No, now you know. Now you know something else about Rio Grande, Ohio. <laughs> but she goes to this place to look for Bigfoot, and she ends up doing a paranormal investigation, too. There's ghosts in this guy's cabin. And that leads me to the point that all this stuff, whether it's high strangeness, it's all connected. There's all these paranormal events that happen in these areas with UFO sightings, with Bigfoot sightings, ghost sightings. All this stuff happens in these areas. Why? It's so weird. There is some type of weird interdimensional thing going on. And, you know, we've talked about it in this area. And she's a firm believer. She believes, you know, Michigan is one of those areas, too, around the Great Lakes where they have a lot of these sightings. Like she talked about this new cryptid that people have contacted her about that looks like something that you would, you know, would have been a character on Men in Black. It's just crazy. But uh, yeah, that's fully what she believes. So again, a huge thanks to Shitan Noir. You can find all of her information on social media. She's on Facebook. She even sent me some links to some uh, interviews like Zoom interviews that she's doing that she talked about on the show there. So you guys check her out. I'm absolutely positive that we will have her back again. Yeah, we'll put those links in the show notes too. So when you're done listening to this episode, scroll down in the show notes and you can find those links. I'll have them in there for you guys. One more little uh, surprise I want to drop on everybody is that you're going to be listening to this on Thursday. We've changed our day to Thursday. We're going to be releasing new episodes. So this will come out Thursday. And then tomorrow you'll get to hear us again because we'll do, we'll do Flashback Friday. We got a lot of feedback about some of these episodes that we put out at the very beginning, like in our podcast infancy. And the feedback was so good that we thought, let's bring back a, a couple more of those. Since it's October, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Let's really creep everybody out by doing Throwback Thursdays and Flashback Fridays for a while. And the, and the older the episode gets, the worse it's going to sound. So I apologize. We were on another radio network when we did it. So you may hear us say that that's the radio network we're on, but we're no right. longer with them. But 
yeah, these are older episodes and the next episodes, the next two you're going to get the next two weeks for Flashback Friday are the ones about Herb Baumeister. Oh, those, those are, are pretty Herb. good. And basically yeah. that's kind of how we started out as this podcast. We've talked about it before. We talk about how these hauntings stem from murders. So the haunting of Fox Hollow Farm is a good one. We had fun with that episode and we actually found a really creepy newscast of Herb Baumeister. So... I can't wait for you guys to hear that if you've never heard it before. You got any final thoughts, Annie? No, just thanks to everybody who has been sticking with us, who gave us feedback about those Throwback Thursday episodes. Um, you know, like you said, the uh, the audio isn't great. We were learning how to do stuff still, but the content was really good. And so we wanted everybody to be able to hear some of those episodes again. As always, if you have stories that you would like us to cover, whether it's paranormal, cryptids, true crime. You guys shoot those our way. We're always looking for uh, new episode stories. And don't forget Halloween because we're dropping bombs. Dropping bombs. And Annie still wants stories. So submit them, guys. Serial Spirits at AOL.com or hit us up on our own social media stuff. So until next time, guys, we'll see you when we see you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Serial Spirits podcast. Follow us on all your social media apps, facebook.com forward slash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Listen to us on all podcasting platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you subscribe. Follow us on our mothership at paranormalwarehouse.com. Until next time, guys, be aware and be safe.